Welcome to The Human Perspective, a podcast with the internationally recognized badass disability rights activist, Judy Human. This episode, Judy interviews Lauren, aka Lolo Spencer. Lolo is an actress, model, and social media content creator. She currently plays Jocelyn in HBO Max's Sex Lives of College Girls. She also played Tracy Holmes in the award-winning film Give Me Liberty. Lolo has a YouTube channel called Sitting Pretty, where her journey to activism and media all started. Lolo and Judy chat about Lolo's impressive career path and aspirations, as well as her experience acquiring a disability as a teenager. Enjoy this interview, and don't forget to check out the description of the episode to find links and more information about Lolo Spencer. The Human Perspective is produced by me, Kylie Miller, and Judy Human. So let's roll up, lay down, dance around, whatever makes you feel best, and let's meet this episode's guest. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to The Human Perspective. Uh, Today, I'm very excited that we're going to be speaking with Lolo Spencer, who is somebody that I've admired since I met her a couple of years ago. And we were just talking about how we met and what we've done over the last couple of years in quarantine. So in some way, who knows if we would have gotten to spend time together if we weren't in quarantine. But being in quarantine, we've done a couple of Zoom calls together. So welcome, Lola. Thank you. Thank you, Judy, so much for having me. So how do you define yourself? Uh, This question. (laughs) You know what? I I define myself as a fun person, a joyous person, as fearless as I can be, as much as I possibly can be. I'm outspoken. You know, I'm just like, I, I like to be in peace and joy and fun and like good positive energy. So yeah, I I would describe myself as that. (laughs) What drives you? You know what? Multiple things drive me, but I will say that after doing, you know, this online work via social media and YouTube, prior to even all the acting things, like my main driver is recognizing that disability advocacy and representation within entertainment and beauty is my purpose. Like I genuinely feel like I am here. I get the blessing of being able to wake up every day to keep doing this work, to keep advocating, to keep representing. And so that's always the the driving force, you know, especially when I know I'm in a good mood to do the work. Like when I'm in the mood to do the work, oh, I'm I'm doing the work heavy. I'm always trying to be innovative and creative of what can I do next? How can I help this time? Where can I be of service to others in this way? And I just kind of do it in my own, my own unique way of doing things, but that's what drives me for sure. So when did you acquire your disability and how does it affect you on a day-to-day level? Yeah, so I acquired my disability when I was 14. I was diagnosed with ALS, but as of a few years ago, that diagnosis may be in question. So uh, I just say I have like a form of muscular dystrophy. And, you know, day to day, it's, um, it's literally a balancing act because I do have the ability to still ambulate. So literally, I am balancing myself all day, just trying to ambulate, work my body as much as I possibly can, balancing between work and my health, which can be a struggle for me you know, and balancing between knowing when it's time to rest and give my body a rest and give, give my body a minute to just like relax. Cause I sometimes can be a little 
too driven and push myself a little too far, which I know isn't good, uh, but I'm doing my best. Oh shit, I done ripped out my whole earring. I done ripped out my whole earring. Here we go. <laughs> and it's clear on the other side. So we're just going to take these off. <laughs> but this is, this is a prime example of my life that something will drop and fly across the other end of the room. And I have to make the decision. Do I want to struggle to go get it in this moment? Or am I going to take a break and be like, you know what? I'm going to get it when I can. Exactly. And that is the story of my life. <laughs> Do you have a picker upper? No, I don't. And you know what? I need to get one. Wesley told me I need to get one. He was like, yo, you need to get one of those claw things to pick up stuff. And I was like, you're right. Exactly. Although when you drop things, you have to then go get the picker upper. Exactly. Yeah. But they're good to have. They are good to have. So how old were you when you were first identified as having a disability? I was 14. And the interesting part was at 14, I never identified myself as having a disability. I just knew some changes were happening in my body. I was told whatever I was told from doctors and, you know, what my mom did her best to explain to me what was going on. But disability and disabled was never terms I was using as a teenager. Truthfully, I wasn't using disability until like my later years in college when I had to go to the, you know, the centers on every campus that are, that specialize with disabled students' needs and stuff like that. So it wasn't until having those conversations with those counselors that I was like, oh, okay, disability. I go to the disabled part. This is the disabled, like, this is where I go. So yeah, so disabled was never like the term, but now looking back, yes, at 14 is when it was the first sign of being able to identify with the disability. Prior to being identified as having a disability, uh, do you remember what you thought about disabled people? You know, Unfortunately, I didn't think about disabled people. It never crossed my mind. Like I knew disabled people existed, but I never identified with them. So I didn't care to really know, you know, and me being so young, there were so many other things that I was thinking about that just was pointless, you know, just being a teenager, boys, music, B2K, like it was a thing. It was a thing back then. And so, yeah, I, I knew that they had classes at different times. I knew those classes were different from my classes at the time, but I literally had no relationship with disability at all. Even knowing that my best friends had deaf parents, it didn't even cross my mind that their parents were disabled. It was like, oh, their parents are deaf. So yeah, I, I had no, no relationship with disability prior to acquiring one. How did your family and friends respond uh, when you were first realizing you were doing things different and were identified as having a disability? You know, my friends and family, they didn't really change, you know, once, once I acquired a disability. It was, it was like this weird kind of understanding of more like, okay, Lauren just gets around differently now. Like, I don't think the seriousness of what was happening with my health was being on the forefront of how they decided to treat me. I think it was literally this kind of happenstance 
kind of response, then, oh, Lauren is actually dealing with something really, really serious. At least that's from my perspective of what was happening. So nothing really changed. I know my mom had a conversation with my family for sure about, you know, moving forward. This is how, you know, Lauren has to get around with, you know, her AFOs, her leg braces. This is what they're for. You know, doctors are saying she may end up using a wheelchair or not. We're just going to kind of see how life goes. And that was kind of the approach that all of my family and friends took is like, let's just see what keeps happening. But until then, you know, we're just going to keep rocking with you and have a good time. (laughs) So what were some of the humorous moments in your life when you were younger and you had your disability and you were transitioning from being one who walked a lot to beginning to use a wheelchair? One of my favorite memories uh, was senior year in high school. There's this uh, big event that happens called Grad Night Disneyland, where literally all the high senior high schoolers will go to Disneyland for one night. Disneyland was shut down. We go in after hours and just have a blast at the park. And so at the time I was using the AFO kind of leg braces. What is an AFO? They're like these leg braces that help, like if you have drop foot. So they were helping me lift my foot in my shoes. So that way I wouldn't trip over anything. But, you know, at the time I was calling them a force gump legs because that's all I knew at the time. Uh, that was the only reference I had. Uh, but <laughs> At the time I was using those, but when it was time to go to Disneyland, I knew I would be completely exhausted. There would be no way I could get around the park. And so the nurse at my high school suggested that I use an electric wheelchair. And so we did a quick test on campus first. And as soon as I got in the chair, I was like, oh yeah, this is it. I need this at Disneyland. It's time to turn up. It's a vibe. Like I need this. This is amazing. It was like the best thing I had ever tried. So then when we actually get to Disneyland and my friends actually see me using the wheelchair for the first time, they went bananas. They had so much fun with me being in my chair. They literally were hopping on the back of it. We were speeding down in the middle of the park. We were busting donuts. It was a whole thing. It, it, it was such a monumental moment that when we got back, I changed my MySpace name to I do donuts in my chair, which y'all know about it. Literally everybody remembered that. So yeah, that was the kind of friends that I had in high school. (laughs) Great story. Yeah, it's the best. It's the best. (laughs) I love it. Now, one of the words that you used when we were beginning the discussion is that you're an advocate in the area of disability, what made you feel that advocacy in the area of disability was something that you uh, were driven towards? I would actually say that I more fell into disability advocacy versus being drawn to do it. Um, When I started my YouTube channel, Sitting Pretty, a few years ago, I was documenting my life because throughout high school and college, people kept telling me, like, you need to share your story. You need to share how you how you do this positively and all these different things. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to 
share what I do and how I do things. But it wasn't until getting the responses from viewers on my YouTube channel that I realized that what I was sharing was actually impacting people in a way that I didn't even necessarily intend to. But once I started getting those messages of, you know, people saying, oh, this particular video helped me, you know, feel more confident about myself. I have cerebral palsy or am an amputee or or whatever their disability was. That's when I realized like, I'm doing something much bigger than myself. And I like this feeling. I like what I'm doing. So how can I continue to contribute? And so the more and more I did by creating content or speaking on panels, I realized like what I was doing is considered advocacy work and I dug it. And so I kept doing it and found new and innovative ways to to keep the message going. I agree with you. And I completely understand that. I think there's been such an absence of disability in media. Yeah. That when people really of all ages meet people like us and others, they, in many cases, for the first time, are listening to someone who's in many ways sharing similar views. Yeah. And being public about it. Um, I think that's really important. When you were in high school and beginning to start thinking of your career, what were you originally thinking of? And did your disability have any make any difference in the career path you originally thought about? So my original career path was journalism because I've always been obsessed with people's stories. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm just like nosy by nature or something, but I just loved asking questions and getting to know people. I used to obsess over like celebrity interviews and documentaries. And and so I just always gravitated towards journalism. And so in high school, I was part of the school newspaper, which was a very proud moment for me. And that was kind of like the first introduction into, I guess, sharing stories and learning how to share stories and learning about more and more people and things that were happening in the world or on campus, you know, being on the newspaper. And then when I moved out to LA after high school, I joined the community college newspaper that I was attending at the time. And then from there, that transitioned into video journalism which is where I learned how to edit video content, which then that ended up turning into my passion, which ended up being my uh, focus to get my degree in TV production. And then now fast forward to where I'm at now, all of those skill sets play into my career, not even like planning it, just one thing fell into another thing. And, you know, here we are. So you've been doing more and more things. Can you tell us a little bit about your first film, Give Me Liberty? Oh, Give Me Liberty is such a unique film. So the story of Give Me Liberty is about a medical transport van driver who literally has the most unexpected wild day of his life. And I play Tracy Holmes, who is one of the passengers on the van who he picks up. And I don't make the day any easier for him is what I'll say. So it it, it was such a beautiful experience, a very challenging one in many ways, but it was a great experience and really launched my career into acting. How did you get involved with that film? So I was involved with my agents at the time. When did you get an agent? 
Oh, it was a recommendation from my stylist, Stephanie Thomas. Stephanie saw what was happening on my YouTube channel. And she was just like, if you're interested in maybe like being in commercials or anything like that, you should probably get an agent. I know someone. So I was like, great. And so Stephanie set up the meeting and the agent was like, yeah, I represent talent with disabilities. Would love to add you to the roster. So I was like, cool. And I didn't think anything of it past that point until one day she called me and she was like, hey, there's this indie filmmaker who is creating a film and they would like you to audition because they're specifically looking for a young black woman who's a wheelchair user. And you're like the only client that I have that fits that description. So you want to audition? And I was like, why not? <laughs> why not? And, you know, the rest is history. <laughs> So what did you find challenging and what did you learn from being a part of Give Me Liberty that helped you continue to move forward? So the the challenging part about Give Me Liberty was first, I've never acted prior to Give Me Liberty. So for me, my challenge was memorizing the lines. And then let alone having to deliver whatever the emotion was at the time, having to create a story about this character that I essentially didn't create. So I'm like, well, who is this girl? And what about her do I resonate with in order to know how she would respond? And then finding the unique ways that that were different between myself as Lolo and Tracy as a character, like, what are those differences? Like getting out of my own way, like being like, oh no, I would never do that. And it's like, this ain't about you. This is about Tracy. So would Tracy do this? So I was luckily able to build a great relationship with my director, Kirill Mikanovsky, and our producer, Alice Austin. And we would have those conversations on a regular basis. And then, you know, some other challenges we shot in Milwaukee in March. I don't do the snow. <laughs> I don't do cold. <laughs> I am a California girl through and through. So they talking about, oh, it's 17 degrees tonight. 17? Oh, no. No, 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 no. And you want me to go outside? But you did it. But I did it because I had to. <laughs> right. But I still did it. <laughs> You know, um, so it, it would it would be like those things. And it was an independent film. So there were a lot of things that were happening that I just had to work my way around just because we were we were thugging it. We were thugging it to make it happen. And and uh, what I've learned from that experience is learning to be even more the kind of person that just goes along with the flow, being a team player, enjoying the process, no matter what the challenge may be and, and having the tenacity to keep going and push as far as you can to make something happen until something is like a complete definite no, then you can accept it as a no and, you know, move forward and be creative and innovate on how to make something still work, even if plan A wasn't sought all the way through. It seemed to me and give me liberty also that there were a lot of disabled people in the film. Yes. Compared to other things that you've done where you're really one in a group, you have a disability. That's not the predominant purpose of your being in the film. How was it in Give Me Liberty? You went to Sundance as a result of this film, right? Yes. And can. Oh, great. Yes. So what was it like being in a production with so many other disabled people? It was actually really dope. I had a great time and it was great getting to know 
other people who are like me, you know, because like you said, it's usually I'm usually the only person with a disability in a room, or at least a visible disability. And so it was dope getting to know, you know, the other actors on set, having conversations with them, learning about their disability. Um, Steve, he is the one that I have the scene with on the van, and he's nonverbal. And so learning to communicate with him and understand him was a really, really dope experience because the patient's and just the fun conversations we were able to have, like he was so funny, you know, and it's, and, and I never even expected necessarily to interact, I guess, with someone who was nonverbal, like that was a first for me. And so it was great. It was great. It was really dope. Like I was able to build like some great relationships with people and the fact that the crew completely understood how to interact with people with disabilities and, and varying disabilities was amazing to witness as well. So when you think about productions that you've done since then, do you find the crews equally uh, knowledgeable or do you find that in any of the other roles you've played, for example, as Jocelyn in Sex Lives of College Girls, have you had to do more training or finessing with uh, people on the set? You know, I did have to, at first, you know, kind of explain um, certain things that I needed, certain things that I just knew wasn't going to work as far as actual like movement and blocking on set, wardrobe conversations, how to have conversations about that. But the beauty about the crew on Sex Lives is that they were eager to learn. They were eager to want to know how can we be of assistance? How can we do better? And how can we learn now so that way we don't have to keep bugging you about what can we do? Is this right? Is this appropriate? Is this not? Does this work for you? Is this considered accessible for you or not? Like those kinds of things. So they they have been an amazing crew to work with. And the dialogue and the support that I'm able to have with everyone is monumental for sure. So it's been amazing so far. So Sex Lives, you finished season one, right? Yes. And is season two being done now? Season two, we're working on it. We are on our way to start filming uh, season two. So it's it's very exciting. Do you have any idea when it's going to be coming out? No idea at all. The, the actors are usually the last ones to know any news. A lot of times we learn stuff when the press release comes out and when the rest of the world learns. So, uh-huh. yeah. And it's so funny because people ask me all the time, oh, do you know? And I'm like, honey, I don't know nothing. So tell us a little bit about what you have learned through acting. You know, acting is such an interesting craft. I think kind of what was happening during Give Me Liberty is continuously learning how to take myself out of a role and focus more on what I believe and what the directors and producers want the character to be, but also finding that balance in still letting a piece of who I am shine in the character as well and making the the character feel authentic to viewers. So that's been like the biggest learning. And still it's like learning the lines because now I'm on, you know, with Gimme Liberty, a majority of our cast were first time actors. But this time I'm sure if I'm not mistaken, I'm the only person who is still very, very new to acting. Everyone else went to school. They've been in theater, been on Broadway, the whole nine. I'm like, 
I did one film and that's about it. So just learning to have confidence that I deserve to be there as an actress, that I deserve to be part of this role and that everyone wants me there. So kind of fighting those feelings as well. How do you push yourself forward? I would say the way I push myself forward is recognizing that the thoughts or the feelings that that I don't deserve to be there isn't true. Recognizing that it is a false thing that I'm creating out of my own insecurity and that because I know that that's not true, I can make the choice to think about it a different way and to understand what my experience being on set and being with the crew and the cast, I can understand it from a different perspective. And then once I saw the show, once I was actually able to see the show along with everybody else, you know, I did a good damn job. And I was like, you know what? Chill out, girlfriend. You did a good job. Everyone else likes it. Everyone else has been telling you you've done a good job. You know, they asked you to come back. So that's a good sign. (laughs) So it's like, I, I recognize that those feelings were all my own and it was rooted in fear and insecurity. So I have my own kind of way of choosing to think about things differently. I think that's really a great message because whether you have a disability or not, those are things that we feel when we're going forward and trying to do something new. And even when it's something that we've done before, it's having to accept what other people are saying and really believing it. Like, do they really mean what they're saying that it really was good? Or are they only saying it that way? Exactly. I appreciate very much the way you've been explaining this. And it's a challenge. And I think that's really important that we challenge ourselves on a regular basis to keep moving forward. Yeah. How has your mother been involved with you in the work that you're doing? You know what? My mom has honestly been like the biggest supporter. Um, She lives like on the other like I'm in Southern California. So she lives in Northern California. So she's always supporting me from a distance, whether it's like behind the scenes, like with, you know, invoicing stuff, like she handles all my money stuff. And, you know, she's just my biggest supporter. She's always watching my things, leaving comments, um, sharing with the rest of the family, um, with her coworkers, stuff like that. So she is a very, very proud mommy. And anytime I'm going through something personally, she's always the first one I call. Oh, that's very sweet. Yeah. What other work have you been doing that we should let our audience know about? Some of the other work that I've been doing is um, a lot of social media uh, content in the form of advocacy. So using my YouTube channel, Sitting Pretty, to just continuously create content, talking about my experience as a disabled person, sharing my perspective on disability, because I do have my own opinions around, you know, certain things that are prevalent within the disabled community. Give us an example. An example, I'm not a fan of like the word differently abled or handy capable. Me either. I hate it. I can't stand it. I think it's stupid. Um, I think I think it's a sugar-coated way of saying disabled, and there's nothing about disabled that needs to be sugar-coated. It's non-disabled people wanting to reframe us. Yes. And I think more and more disabled people are willing to listen to us saying this and getting confident that they can own themselves. And they don't need to take terms that other people have crafted. Exactly. Exactly. And so those kinds of things, having those kind of discussions, but also just sharing, you know, my most embarrassing stories and, you know. LS1. Oh, okay. So there was, 
Oh boy. So there was this one time I was at a party and I was drinking and I had to use the restroom and my homegirl who I was at the party with, uh, she had stepped out because she had to take a phone call for her job. But as soon as she left, I ended up having to go to the bathroom. This random guy saw the look of panic on my face and he was like, do you need help with something? I was like, yes, I actually have to go to the restroom, but there are stairs to get inside the house where the bathroom is at. So he carried me all the way into the bathroom. Literally, I was like, just come all the way in, close the door, just turn the other way. I, you know, use the restroom. I go to wash my hands. He goes to flush the toilet because in my drunken mind, I thought I flushed the toilet. (laughs) I didn't. And he goes, oh, shit. And I was like, what happened? And he was like, there's blood in the toilet. Uh. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm on my period. (laughs) This is not fun. This is actually very embarrassing for me. He was like, no, it's cool. Like, you know, I've, you know, I've had a girlfriend, so it's fine. He was like, but I didn't know, like, if you were experiencing like internal bleeding, like he thought like my kidney was like failing or some shit. Uh, I was like, no, it's just my period. Thank you. Oh my God. And so, yeah, that was, that was pretty bad. Thank you for being so clear. Yes. No, seriously, these things happen. And for me, I also like to be pretty explicit in what I'm saying, because I think it allows other people to realize that, you know, they're not the only one who's had some kind of a story, which at the moment probably made you like blush all over the place. And now you can look back for me when you said this, I thought, wow, this guy sounds cool because he could look at your face. He didn't know who you were. Yeah. And he asked, do you need something? That to me is like very unique. You hardly ever have someone who knows that. 100%. And that's why I trusted him enough to take me to the bathroom. And I have no idea who the man was. Oh, you never saw him again? Well, no, I haven't seen him since. Like we like we danced a little bit after, you know, we went back outside to the party. But after that, I haven't seen that man since. What are some of your future goals, personal and professional? Oh, I love that. Some of my personal goals, I I would like to, you know. What is your wildest fantasy? Oh, well, now, Judy, now that's a different kind of conversation. Uh, no, <laughs> uh, it involves Michael B. Jordan with his shirt off. Um, no, I'm like, <laughs> I love it. No, you know, um, you know, you know, as far as like personally, I would say I would love to be able to, um, you know, find my life partner and start a family. That that is definitely something very important to me. Um, I'm in the process of learning ways to build like generational wealth, um, those kinds of things. I'm really thinking about family a lot for my future on a personal level. So I've been doing a little bit of dating hit or miss right now still, but you know what? I am trusting the universe. I am trusting God that, you know, it will happen soon. However, he shows up. Um, so that's really been more of like the, the personal goals that I'm working on. And then just continuing to work on being the best version of myself at all times and, and uh, adjusting to my own growth and what that looks like from a personal perspective. And then professionally, I would love to be cast in a rom-com next. Who do you want to play? 
And who do you want the romantic character? What do you want the romantic character to look like, be like? Um, so I would definitely be the leading lady in the film who is actively being sought after. And I would love my my co-star, my better half in the film, to be of the caliber of Michael B. Jordan, looks-wise and talent-wise. That's the goal. I know he traditionally doesn't do comedy, but, you know, every actor likes to take a chance, right? So we'll see. We'll see if we can make that happen. But also, I am working on my own lifestyle brand. I'm really building that up. What is a lifestyle brand? So a lifestyle brand, the way I see it, is a brand that others can use as a resource to be able to find ways to live the best version of their lives. So I'm essentially doing that, but it's going to be dedicated to young adults with disabilities who are seeking independence and self-empowerment. I should be launching that fairly soon. And then, you know, I have big like 10-year goals and five-year goals. Some of the goals include, of course taking Sitting Pretty Productions up a notch, having it really be a production company where I can support talent with disabilities or content involving disability and help with the funding and the production of those projects, but also creating something that can be franchised. I'll just say that. And I would love to open, this is this is something I'll share. I would love to open a cafe or some sort of restaurant slash lounge out here in the LA area that will be fully next level accessible. I want to be there. Yes. Oh my gosh, Judy. Absolutely. Absolutely. Where we would do different things on the weekends, but we'll also be able to have panels. Like it'll be the place where anything involving disability, people will know this is a spot to go to. I want it to be designed around you. Yes. You know, I love the way you do your colors and, you know, the way you move. And I think to have a really lovely cafe bar where the accessibility was kind of universal. So it wouldn't stand out. It would just kind of be there and people would be drawn into the colors and the vibrations and the movement of the rooms. Exactly. Exactly. Exactly that. Judy, you actually explained it better than I could ever do. (laughs) Thank you. But yes, exactly. That is exactly the goal. Because I love to go out. I love going to parties. I love getting drunk sometimes. I love eating good food. I love dancing. We need a big dance floor. A huge one. A massive one. Exactly. Absolutely. But I also love going into spaces and being able to chill and meet new people under like chill conversation and chill loungy kind of vibes. So that is definitely like five-year goal. It'll, I'll hit it before five years. I know that much, but like I'm giving myself at least five years to, to make it happen. So we're coming to the end and I like to ask my guests, what is something that people may not know about you that brings you joy? That they may not know about me that brings me joy. You know, well, two things. I would say I really, as much as I like to be social, It really brings me joy when I'm in solitude. And a lot of people don't like really expect that from me because I am so like, you know, high energy a lot of the times. But being in solitude, when I say solitude, I mean complete quiet. How long do you like to have moments of solitude? Five minutes a day, a week? You know what? 
just whenever the spirit calls, it's one of those things. Sometimes it'll be in the morning for like three hours and I'm just chilling. It's just thinking, just maybe not even thinking. You're not working. You're not writing. You're not listening. Mm -mm. Mm. Exactly. Exactly. So I, I love that. And then also, although I'm not a, I can't call myself a singer yet. I actually do enjoy music and I do love to sing in the privacy of my own, my own spaces. And you're going to take singing lessons, right? I am. I am. That's, that's on the next list of things to do is take vocal lessons. So that way I can say, yeah, I can sing and just start, you know, hitting some notes. You need to do jazz. Ooh. And learn how to scat. Yep. That would be fire. That would be fire. So I'd like to thank you so much for spending time with us today. Of course. You know, who you are brings such joy and allows people to think on so many different levels. So thank you very much. And obviously, we will continue to be in touch. Of course. And I really look forward to all the work that you're going to be doing in the future. And for all of our audience, plus, plus, plus more people to know about you and to share in the joy that you bring. Yes. Thank you so much, Judy, for having me. This was awesome. Thank you so much, too. Now it's time for Ask Judy, a segment where Judy answers questions sent in by listeners. Lolo's a really fun person. I love talking with Lolo. She makes me laugh at the same time that she is a strong, committed person to her craft and also to helping make changes in the world. So she's got this really good balance from my perspective that I can go from serious to laughing, to being thoughtful, to becoming energized. Totally. And she just is so true to her. You can tell, you know, everything she says is completely who she is. And she has no problem explaining that. Yes. And I want to meet her mother. Yes. <laughs> as I told her and her family, but I'm sure like me and you, we've been fortunate to have families that have given us really great strength mm -hmm. and resilience. Yeah. Lola is a great example um, as a businesswoman for what we need to be looking at when businesses are trying to become more inclusive, not just in the area of disability. And I believe we have a question from somebody. Yes, that is exactly what we're talking about and asked Judy today. So I have a question from Kat Harden on Instagram, and they asked, how can I use my business platform to advocate for people with disabilities? So I don't know your company, so I'm going to be talking more broadly. I think what's important is to put on what I call a disability lens. And what that means is if you're starting a company or if you have a company that's already up and running and you're wanting to expand your base, which thank you for thinking about this, then I believe you need to look at, do we right now allow people to see that part of our customer base are disabled individuals? And if not, what do I need to do in order to make that happen? One thing that would be important from my perspective is, do you know who your customer base is? And are there certain customers that in your base that you know because you come from those different communities? So you're reaching out to them or you feel confident in what you're doing. If you don't really know disabled individuals who could give you valuable input on what you're trying to do or what you may already be doing that could be strengthened a little bit or it could be lifted up saying, oh, this is really great. It spoke to me. That's one thing. 
So knowing your customer base, reaching out to your customer base. Are you using visualizations? Um, do you have pictures of disabled people in pictures that you may be using? Are you engaging disabled people in the way you're marketing what you're doing? Are you sincerely looking at if your company is growing, what do you need to do to authentically reach out to prospective employees who may have visible or invisible disabilities? Are there any practices within your company that might make it more difficult for disabled people to really believe that you're looking to hire them based on the qualifications of what you offer your company? I think there are many, many things to do. And for me, the bottom line also is talk to other disabled people, talk to people who are knowledgeable in the area that you're working in, and look at joining organizations like Disability In, National Organization on Disability, and others, like maybe some of your local chambers of commerce, maybe doing particularly good work in the area of disability. Learn from others and view yourself also as a teacher. Great. That was a wealth of knowledge. <laughs> And there are also many resources out there. And I would say one that comes to mind specifically is Levant Consulting on Instagram. There's a lot of tips and tricks and just good practices for businesses and how to be accessible and include disabled people in your planning and marketing and everything Judy just outlined. So thank you for the question, Kat. And thank you, Judy. If you have a question for Judy, you'd like to hear in a future episode, please send it to media at judithhuman.com or you can DM it to Judy on Twitter or Instagram. Thank you, Kylie. Thanks for tuning in to The Human Perspective. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review our show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also follow Judy on Twitter at Judith Human and on Instagram and Facebook at The Human Perspective. If you want to find out more information about this episode's guest or resources relating to the discussion, check out the description of this episode or visit judithhuman.com. You can also find a shortened video version of this interview on Judy's YouTube channel, dropping a week after this podcast is published. Otherwise, be sure to check back every other Wednesday for a new podcast episode. The intro music for The Human Perspective is Dragon, which is produced and performed by Lachi, Yontero, and Warren. The outro music is I Wait by Galen Lee. 